we are here today to reflect on the cross. It's such an important image and such an important scene. It is one of both suffering, of suffering, but also one of victory. And I got to tell you, some of the churches that I spent time in as a kid, there may have been some shouting during that last song, um, especially if it had been sung like that. And I tell you, as to reflect on that and then, and then think that one day this cross that we can see as, our, as being for us personally can be exchanged one day for a crown that will never fade, that will never rust, that will, that will never go away. What a beautiful gift that God has given us in this cross. Today we reflect on that. I don't know what kind of story you like. There's nothing more frustrating for me than a story that doesn't make any sense the kind of story or maybe a movie that you go to and, and the author just kind of throws something in at the end because they couldn't figure out what else to do. And uh, it, just, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But my favorite stories are the ones that create those aha moments, those stories that are full of, of details that the author has woven in and, and that they reveal the meaning and the purpose of those details to you at the perfect time. And when it's revealed, it gives you a a clarity that you weren't expecting. And you don't feel stupid for not seeing the details before. You you feel encouraged, even even strengthened. When it comes to Jesus' death on the cross, God does not want any of us feeling like we can't understand him. He's not trying to hide his intention, hoping that only a few figure him out. The death of Jesus was the fulfillment of thousands of years of storytelling by God himself, woven throughout the whole of scripture. It didn't just begin in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and every detail of his death reveals the brilliance of God as master storyteller. Throughout the the story of scripture, there's an understanding that God required a certain type of sacrifice for his people to have their sins forgiven and for them to be in right relationship with him. When Jesus is first brought onto the scene, he is introduced to us by his first cousin, John the Baptist. The people that have read these stories of old and been looking at the, and trying to understand the details that God had put in place, they were expecting someone like a prophet in the Old Testament called Elijah. They were expecting someone like him to come along. And here's Jesus' first cousin, John the Baptist, and he's a lot like Elijah. He lives in the wilderness. He, he lives off the land. He, he makes clothes out of camel hair and he's extremely intense. And people were coming from miles around to listen to John the Baptist. And then in the book of John, we have this first moment when John, this new Elijah, is standing baptizing others and the Messiah, the one that he's preparing the way for, Jesus comes onto the scene. And John makes a declaration there that day. And a declaration that I'm not sure everybody understood. But if they knew the stories of God, it would begin to make sense. You see, many of them were expecting someone with the intensity and the passion of Elijah to announce a military Messiah. Someone who would come through with violence and who would vanquish Rome. But John on that day baptizing declares to everybody something entirely different. He says this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This intense, passionate man announces the arrival of the Lamb of God. 
And some listening on may have been thinking, dude, seriously, a lamb? Is that all you've got? But in one statement, John was casting imagery that would take people, take people back to a story from nearly 2,000 years earlier, a story that the Jews referred to as God's greatest act of salvation. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. It's the night of the last, the 10th plague that would, that would deliver the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. And here's their instructions for that night. Exodus 12 verse three says this, take the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The rest of the story in Exodus would apply people, would instruct people to apply the blood from that sacrificial Passover lamb to the doorpost there around their home. And if they did that, God would deliver them from their bondage. God would deliver them from slavery. He would deliver them from oppression. There would be further instructions for how to keep this feast later on. There would be lots of tradition added to it. But the important thing is this, all of it revolved around the lamb. And John has declared that the lamb has been delivered, that the lamb has been prepared as a sacrifice for all of our sins. As we recounted this last Sunday, Jesus came riding into town on the first day of the week. We now call it Palm Sunday. But in the first century, that's not what it was called. Jesus came riding into town at the beginning of the Passover feast in Jerusalem. He came riding into town on Lamb Selection Day, the day when everyone would come to choose what lamb they would sacrifice. Just as Exodus said, small lambs for smaller families, large lambs for larger families, maybe the opportunity to share and collaborate there. And each one of these lambs could be trusted to be without blemish or spot because a majority of them were raised in special flocks by Levites nearby, Levite shepherds. The largest and most well-known of these flocks were found on the hillsides around a town called Bethlehem. So here's Jesus on Passover lamb selection day, riding into town, arriving through what was known as the sheep gate, And oh, by the way, he was born in Bethlehem. It's as if God is saying throughout the stories of hundreds and thousands of years, here's my lamb, not just my son, here's my lamb, the sacrifice that would cover the whole world. Those who've been paying attention to the story should have been expecting a lamb. The prophet Isaiah said it this way about Messiah to come. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. God's sacrifice will be strong, but it will be silent. And as Jesus stands before the Roman governor Pilate, whose nickname was the butcher, Jesus did not answer the accusations. But as the lamb had been foretold, he remained silent and was led away. Later on, the apostle Peter would recount the scene this way, 
says this. It says, He, Jesus, committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was pierced. But not a bone of his body was broken in crucifixion not only to fulfill what had been predicted about the Messiah, but also because no Passover lamb was allowed to have a bone broken. And on this day, Mark 15 tells us that Christ was killed on the Passover day of preparation. The day all the other lambs would be sacrificed for the Passover meal. And the sacrifices for the Passover for every family would begin at noon that day in Jerusalem and last until three o'clock, where it would end with the sacrifice that was being given by the high priest. Now they hung Jesus on the cross at nine o'clock that morning, but the Bible tells us that the sky grew dark at noon that day, at the moment when all of the Passover sacrificing would begin, and that it would last till around three in the afternoon, the moment when Jesus died and the Passover sacrifices would be over. From history, we know that in the Passovers of the first century, over a quarter of a million lambs were sacrificed during those three hours. Jewish families would sacrifice their lambs for centuries on, spit, on two spits over hot coals. One would be placed through the lamb lengthwise and one through the side. The Jews had been sacrificing lambs on crosses for generations. And there on a hillside outside of the city, there was God's lamb hanging on the cross. We know that at 3 p.m., at the completion of the high priest, at the completion of the Passover, the high priest would sacrifice the final lamb. And that at that moment, a shofar trumpet would be blown. And on this day, that would certainly have been the case when Jesus died. Imagine the scene, the moment of his death, when with all the strength he could muster, he cries out, it is finished. And at the same time, the shofar from the temple in Jerusalem blows. And as the high priest is wrapping up his sacrifice, the veil of the temple is torn in two from the top down. The blood has been spilled by God's lamb and the sacrifice was over. The apostle Paul would tell us later, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Never never again would it be necessary for a sacrifice to be made for the sins of all mankind or for any of us to be made to be in right relationship with this God. Peter says it this way. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
He was chosen before the creation of the world, but it was revealed in these last times for your sake. Peter declares, the foundation has been there for generation upon generation, but with Jesus, the story is revealed. What God has been up to all along has been a sacrifice that would cover everyone sitting in here today and all of mankind. Over the years of tradition and history of of Jews taking that Passover meal, there have become four core things to meditate and, and reflect on during the meal. And I wanna invite us today, as we reflect on the death of Christ, God's Passover lamb, that we reflect on these four things. It was said during the Passover that the Jews would take a moment to remember Egypt and remember God's promise to them. And they would remember that one of the things that God had promised to do was that he would bring you out from your burdens. I wonder if there's anybody in here today who has a burden, something in the back of your mind that you walked in here with, that you thought for just a moment, I can set that aside so that I can reflect on the cross and reflect on Jesus. I want you to know today that you don't have to set that aside for just a moment because Jesus has said, you can cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So whatever burdens you brought in here with you today, whatever worries, whatever concerns, as you reflect on the cross, on God's Passover lamb today, I would invite you to say, God, I'm giving this burden to you and I'm not gonna pick it up again. Don't pick it up again after you're done reflecting about the cross. Don't don't take hold of it again, but rather continue day after day to cast your cares on him. The second thing that would be reflected on during the Passover meal was the fact that God delivered his people from slavery. I wonder if there's anybody who walked in here today that you are allowing yourself to be enslaved to something. Maybe it's a sin, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. And you thought maybe, you know, I can just come in here for a few minutes today and and I don't have to think about that. I don't have to be enslaved to that for about 45 minutes. Can I tell you something? Because of God's Passover lamb, you don't have to be enslaved at all. And I can't think of a better moment to get God's victory for your life than in the moment we reflect when God sent his son to gain victory for all of us, for all mankind, once and for all. The third thing that we would reflect on is the idea that we have been redeemed. We have been purchased by God himself. What kinds of things do you buy? Do you buy junk just to buy it? I mean, I'm not talking about yard sales. I'm talking about when you go into a store and you're looking for something that you're hoping will catch your eye. And in that moment, whether it's something of, of expense or not, you, you decide, I'm gonna choose this one thing. This is what I want in this moment. God has chosen each of us. He has said, you are what I want. And I want you not just for one fleeting moment, but I want you for all of eternity. And so with his son, Jesus's blood, he has purchased every single one of us who will come to him and accept his plan, his cup of redemption. The last thing that we would reflect on I hope that we will do all weekend long. And that is to take moment after moment 
to reflect on God's restoration, plan for us, and to praise him. The last cup of a Passover meal would be a a cup of thanksgiving, a cup of restoration and praise. And when I think about that old rugged cross today, and when I think about our Savior there, I cannot help but have my heart be lifted because the story has been revealed. The details have been unfolded and everything that God was doing, he was doing for me and for you that day on the cross. But as we know, it's only about to get better. And we look forward to not only this weekend, but days to come to live our lives full of gratitude and praise for the work that God sent his only son, Jesus, to do for every single one of us on the cross. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? Just a moment, Pastor Brian's gonna come and we're gonna take some time to reflect even further on what it means that Jesus would allow his body to be broken and his blood to be spilled for you and for me. And during this time of communion, during this time when we come to the Lord's table together, I wanna invite you to examine your own heart. And if there is anything today that is burdening you, that is weighing you down, cast your cares on the Savior. If there's anything that you need to be released from today that you've been enslaved to, let today be a day of victory and freedom for you. For you have been bought with a price that you could not pay on your own. Your freedom has been purchased once and for all. As we reflect on those things, let's end this time reflecting with great gratitude and thanksgiving for all that God has done for us and all that his son did for us on the cross. God, we pause in this moment to thank you for the cross Lord, it means more than we could ever recount in just some simple moments today. So God, continue to teach us, continue to instruct us for the rest of our lives. God, help us to understand more and more what this cross can mean for each one of us. Lord, may we not only learn it, may we own it and share it with others. God, today I pray that this would not just be a moment of, of quiet reflection but God, that there would be moments of victory, that there would be moments of release throughout this room because the cross was not just designed to be something that we look at from a distance and just quietly reflect, but it was designed to be something to give victory for all of mankind and to be a final sacrifice for each one of us. May we understand the power of that in this moment and live it out as we go out of here today in Christ's name.